Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Product in LA podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Cole, and it's an opportunity to shine the spotlight on some of the exceptional technology leaders we have as part of the LA community. With us today is Andrew Scottsco. Really excited to have you here, Andrew. Thanks, man. It's good to be with you. Oh, this is, this is going to be a terrific episode. Uh, I'm already excited for this. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsors. Product in LA is brought to you by Uruit. Need help completing your roadmap items? Uruit is a product digital agency with over 15 years of experience helping companies build web and mobile apps by embedding directly into their scrum teams. Uruit's expert full stack software developers provide quality code to help you get the job done. If you need React or Angular front-end devs, or perhaps help with Node.js, .NET, Python development, DevOps, or even product or design to help solidify requirements, they're ready to help you close out roadmap items and actually release the customers. Learn more at uruit.com. That's U-R-U-I-T.com. We're also brought to you by the Product Managers Association Los Angeles, available at pma.la. They are the largest professional organization for product and designers in LA. With more than 3,000 members from over 500 companies, they host monthly meetups, organize the Product Leader Council, where CPOs and heads of product connect in small six to eight member pods, and have a mentorship program where they connect working product people with students from underrepresented groups to help build a better, more diverse next gen. To learn more about PMA, go to pma.la. To learn more about the mentorship program, go to pma.la slash mentorship. Super excited to have Andrew Scottsco here today with us. He's the product leadership coach at Make Things That Matter, and his previous roles have included group product lead at Applied Intervention. He was CEO and founder of Petabridge. He had a residence at the 500 Startup Organization, and he worked on Pebble, one of the first smartwatches, smart, smartwatch, uh, smartwatches out there. And he worked at Chill.com that was acquired by Tinder. And one interesting fact you might learn about going to his LinkedIn page. Uh, he's the host of the Make Things That Matter podcast, and uh, it's a strong podcast. Uh, that, tell us a little bit more about it. How, how did you come up with it? And tell us more about uh, what it is. Yeah, thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. So Make Things That Matter is really an exploration of product leadership through the lens of what makes people tick. That's so awesome. I, I kind of think of it as this intersection it's really just a, a way for me to geek out with awesome people. <laughs> that's that's the real answer. I just get to I know that out. game. Yeah, it's a fun game. Uh, so I get to geek out with awesome people about the intersection of conscious leadership, product management, and basically humans. Like what makes them tick, what helps them thrive, and how does that all that stuff smash together? And and what do we do with it all to, you know, try to make things that matter, put put good stuff in the world that hopefully moves the world forward just even a little bit wherever we are. Oh yeah, and no, I caught some episodes, and it, it's really great. Um, I love the way that you summarize everything in every episode and it's available on all the major Yeah, anywhere major anywhere you get your, your podcasts. All right. Yeah. Make things that matter. Um, I guess that is more of a, a recent thing that came started in 2019 and these podcasts didn't exist as a, as a forum when we were growing up mm -hmm. and that's only a thing you do, you know, it's not the, the, the crux of your career, but, you know, tell me about your journey into technology, you know, these things that we're doing today weren't even close to the forms that they were uh, when we were growing up. So mm. did you expect to find yourself here? What was, what was your journey like? 
Yeah, I think the short answer is no. Okay. Um, and, and as I'm sure you've encountered with most product people, I, I don't know if anyone has like, if there is even a typical story, you know, I'm doing air quotes for the listener, <laughs> if there is a typical story into product, but if there is, I haven't, I don't have it. Right. Um, so for me, I had definitely no idea. I didn't even know what product was right. as a thing, as a discipline. Um, I originally, you know, I, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, right? So I went to school originally for engineering at USC. That's how I ended up here in LA All right. and bounced around, um, ended up in the entrepreneur program there, which is a fantastic, very hands-on entrepreneurial program. Like if you don't get out and talk to customers, they fail you. Um, so, you know, good, good motivation to get, get outside the building as, uh, Steve Blank would say. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, anyways, but I started my career actually in marketing. Uh, doing what we would now call growth hacking, very quantitatively driven marketing, highly experimental, that kind of thing. Okay. Did a few years of that. And and somewhere along the way of doing that and a lot of customer development work, again, this is sort of like when customer development was a buzzword, but product management was not yet this juggernaut of a concept like it is today. Right. Um, but I was already doing that work without really knowing it. And a few years in, I had just gotten curious about coding. Um, I had never really coded or anything. And so I started screwing around with it on the side. I think I did like Michael Hartle's Rails tutorial. And the okay. first app, the first dumb app I built was a lunch scheduling app for our office at the startup I was working at because we would take turns like bringing in stuff. We'd all grill outside. And I needed a thing to build because I was doing this tutorial. That was your pain point, yeah. That was that was just like an actual thing that I had actual users, you know, sitting next to me in the office. So yeah. that was my first dumb app was this lunch <laughs> grilling scheduling app. Um, and then if you fast forward to what later became chill.com, I was doing the marketing work and a lot of customer development. And somewhere along the way there, I realized I needed to, I needed a tool to do something in marketing that there was no tool available for. And so I had done enough coding to be, uh, as, as our lead engineer would have said, very dangerous. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so long story short, I wrote, a, I wrote a thing. I wrote my own tool to smash together a couple different APIs and spit out this like super personalized um, email campaign. We did a lot of email to our users. We had you know, a bunch of users at this point. Okay. And it worked super well. Um, and what happened basically after that was our CTO who uh, he, he saw this and he's like, what the heck? Like, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> you need to come work for me. And so, <laughs> what are you doing in marketing? Yeah, yeah. He's like, what are you doing in marketing? Yeah, exactly. You need to get over here on my engineering team because I need engineers. And and so I remember we had this this uh, this meeting in the courtyard one day. We worked in this like old, um, I think it was an old motel off Sunset Boulevard that had been converted into these weird little offices. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting place to have an office. Yeah, yeah, it was right by Cabo Cantina on Sunset Boulevard, right at the top of the hill there. Nice. Um, right at the edge of the Sunset Strip. And so we were sitting in the courtyard of this like janky old motel that it was now offices. And basically they, they offered me, the founders offered me like, hey, we need engineers. If, if you want to try, we think you could pull it off. Do you want to switch to the engineering team here? Like join the product team and like learn to build stuff. Oh, interesting. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And um, long story short, you know, they, th this was before all the coding boot camps were a thing and all that. And so I basically just like went into a cave and I worked six days a week for most of a year. And I was either like working, working out or studying for almost a year and became, just became a full stack engineer on that team and had amazing support and mentorship and everything. So I ended up doing engineering for like five years, five, six years full time. Was that like, were you, was it the point in time where you had to like go to the library and get a, like one of those three inch no, no, no. This, books this is like or? this is like 2010 all right okay this yeah. is, this so is not that long ago okay okay and and so i started building stuff um 
And, but then I was this, then I was this engineer who also had this like marketing and customer development background. And so you're like, oh, that's an unusual combination. Yeah. And so then I got very into this, like I was doing engineering, but then I was also doing a lot of growth hacking. And that's when I worked as 500 startups across their portfolio. And anyways, fast forward from there, somewhere along the way, I discovered product management as we would probably refer to it now. Like somebody handed me Marty Kagan's, like the, the original edition of his, his first book of Inspired. Yeah. And I read it and I was like, what the hell? Like there's a thing called like, I, I, this blew my mind. It's I like all the favorite things that you, I like yeah, to do in one. Exactly. One I was field. like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. There, there's a job that puts together these two like parts of my brain. <laughs> yeah. are, you, are you serious? <laughs> I was that's like, awesome. yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and yeah, from then that was it. I just went all in on product ever, ever since. And then, it, so which, which group was that with? What company was that with that where they were the ones? Was that that was that so was chill.com engineer the, the switch to engineering was the, for, formally happened when i was at chill um i had screwed around with coding before that when i was at a, a startup called citizen net that also was later acquired um by conde nast um but the the actual switch was when i was at chill and and so then it, it kind of just went from there how did that translate into your work on you know uh, a smart watch yeah. So I was doing a lot of like growth, basically what we would probably now call growth product management. And so it was this blend of product management and growth hacking. And I was working on the e-commerce and the system side of Pebble. So Pebble, if anyone okay. doesn't remember, it was sort of like the OG smartwatch that blew up Kickstarter with the world's biggest, the, the biggest Kickstarter, I think still of all time, or, or the, maybe the two biggest ones. The first one was like, I think like a $7 million Kickstarter. And then the later one was like a $20 million Kickstarter. It just, it was insane. Yeah. And so I, I joined well after that. And I worked on Pebble for like a year and a half, I think. Um, and so I was not actually working on the watch. So I was not touching the hardware or the firmware. Although I, I, in later parts of my career, I've worked on hardware and embedded systems. But I was working really on like the user-facing e-commerce side of things, the systems that basically helped pay for a lot of the bills because we, you know, we made a lot more money as a business on the direct sales than we did through channel partners and retail. Interesting. Um, which makes sense. So the e-com, the e-commerce sales had way higher margin than like selling through Best Buy, which right. makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. So anyways, I, I worked on all those things in turn, like so a lot of e-commerce and checkout flows and how do we grow the funnel and make a better new user experience and get people converting higher and et cetera, et cetera. Did you go back to, to the well? I mean, did anything you, that you used in that first piece of code you created, like kind of the growth, the first growth hack, did any of that translate back into pebble from, from oh, when you first no. page no no that, <laughs> that code was garbage okay you know, that all got thrown out but not like, the code but like the maybe the concepts behind the code the personalization you created in order to yeah i think i don't rem i don't remember campaign. the specifics of it but i think the ways of thinking definitely stuck around i mean i i sort of got very deep into the world of of, of what was now called growth hacking for a few years there um, and, and why don't you define growth hacking for some of the folks out there who, who aren't? I actually familiar. don't know that I have a crisp definition of it. There's definitely better ones out there, but I, I would say growth hacking is this sort of intersection of quantitative marketing and um, product experiments, mm. all oriented towards growth. Okay. Right. And so you're going to put together a cross functional team, and it's really going to be oriented towards growing the product, the usage, the traction metrics, things like this, where and how that might be different than, let's just call it, ordinary product management or core product management one way that is often split is sort of like new user acquisition and growth versus like retention and ongoing core like return user experience so a growth hacking team is you know if you ever heard the the famous story of like uh, facebook with the 
you know, get, get a new person on Facebook to 10 friends in seven days or whatever that was. No. That, oh, you heard this? Okay. No, so, no. so um, Facebook has maybe the most famous growth team of all time, right? For pretty good reasons. Right. And they did a ton of data analysis early on and they were trying to figure out like, what is the, the aha moment, right? And so one of the big principles in like growth oriented product management is you're looking for the aha moment. You're looking for the light bulb where like the moment where the light bulb goes on for a user. Yeah. Um, this is often called like activation in, in Dave McClure's pirate metrics. Um, it's, it's the moment where the user gets it and they go, Oh, okay, this is cool. I want this. And so then once you know what that moment is, you want to get people there as fast as you possibly can. So what Facebook did was they analyzed just loads of data and they figured out there, well, they had a couple of guesses, but what it ended up being was they found that if they could get a new user to, I think it was 10 friends in their first week on Facebook, it was something like that. Yeah. Suddenly it, it all just happened, right? They, they stuck around, they invited a bunch more people, like that was the cliff. And so then everything became oriented for the growth team around driving people to that, to that happening. And so that's, they did a million other experiments and, yeah. and but that's like one of the, the, um, the, the more well-known experiments. But oh, that's interesting. Cause I, I've, I've heard the one that the Netflix version of that, I haven't heard as much, I hadn't heard like the, the Facebook, Hey, get, get seven friends or 10 friends within seven days. I have seen the Netflix where they've, they're also known for their experimentation and growth hacking and uh for them broken down by series like how many episodes do you need to get a person to watch mm -hmm. of a specific series to binge the whole rest of the series oh, okay so, got it yeah the same yeah. same 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 genre as that yeah so i mean i guess the, the, if you zoom out like what's what's similar across these things is you have a growth orientation and you're taking a highly experimental and quantitative mindset towards it and then building and experimenting in that direction using any and all capabilities or, or functions. So that's design, engineering, marketing, data science, whatever is relevant. Um, yeah. How was that translated into to later roles for you? I think I put that a little bit on the back burner. Okay. And so for me, I shifted more from a growth, like a kind of a growth product mindset towards a core product mindset. I don't know if those distinctions really make sense, but basically I made just product itself the main thing I was going to focus on instead of growth. Okay. Um, now I think I, I have a bit of both, which is perhaps uh, a little bit uncommon, but um, yeah, I really shifted a lot of my focus to just really wanting to understand users and how do you figure out what people really need and want. Like one of, one of my favorite, um, you know, product people, we love us, we love us some frameworks. Yeah. And mental models. Yeah. One of my favorites of all time and, and maybe the one of the best business books I've ever read that was actually worth reading um, <laughs> is uh, The Personal MBA by Josh Kaufman. Um, I don't know that one. So I, I think if anyone's thinking about going to business school, you should read this book first and you might decide not to go to business school. <laughs> like I learned more from this than I did from most of the stuff I did in business school, <laughs> to be totally blunt about it. It's, it is a masterpiece of a book. Um, and one of the things in there, he he breaks down is this model that you can turn any business and you can model it with five parts. And so you can basically model any business has five parts, okay. value creation, marketing, sales, value delivery, and finance. Okay. And when you think about it that way, like value creation is basically figuring out what people need and want and how do you deliver that to them? How do you, how do you create that? That to me is the heart of product. And so for me, product management is really about, it's, it's primarily a value creation role and yes. a lens to look at the world through. Right. If we look at like jobs to be done, for example, people, one of the most famous questions around jobs is like, so what is a job anyway? Right. Yeah. And 
you know, it, it's a, it's a pretty slippery slope into very nebulous territory, but um, then you're very quickly into this conversation around like value. Like what is, what is value? And right? to whom? Yeah. And to whom and in what context? Um, and the, the way I like to currently think about that is like value. It's just the progress people want to make in their life. And that's contextual and personal. And so for me, the heart of product is really about discovering and delivering value for people, which, which if you put it in like jobs, you can use jobs to be done. You can use other frameworks. It doesn't really matter. But the point is like people in a context want to make a progress, make progress in their life. And the making of that progress is value. And that's what we're trying to do here. That's phenomenal. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I've never heard product put in that particular lens, but that makes so much sense for the things that I've seen and I'm seeing, you know, for, for, for us as product folks, it's really comes down to like voice of the customer is kind of the, the, the typical thing you always mm -hmm. hear. But mm -hmm. when it comes to voice of the customer, it really is, how do you provide value to that customer? Like that's all, that's, that's what they're looking for from using a product. They want to, it to do something in their life to make their life somehow better mm -hmm. and you're coming in, in or progress in some way. Um, well, that makes it total. Uh, so how, how, how are you doing that today? How are you, I imagine you're finding ways to, to expand that out. Um, you know, it was, you did pebble and chill.com and, and now how, yeah, how are you so, finding ways to do, to provide that value? For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, since between chill and pebble, there's been a lot of other, right, a lot of other right, things right, that right, I've worked on, along a lot way. of steps along the way, a lot of different types of products and industries. I've worked on hardware, software, embedded systems, underwater robotics. I mean, like loads of agriculture, like a lot of different stuff and B2B, B2C, whatever. That's not the point. Today, what I'm doing is, is I'm, I'm working with other companies, helping them do this better. So, nice. You know, I think you said this in the intro, you know, my title right now, which is a totally self-made up title is, you know, I'm a product leadership coach. What yeah. does that mean? It means I, I work with the leaders of tech companies, whether that's usually that's involves the product leader, but sometimes it's the whole leadership team. Right. And I basically help them build and scale a strong product culture. So you have to discover, build and scale the right product. But then the piece that I also tend to emphasize is the culture. A lot of tech companies hmm. find a thing, they grow the hell out of that thing, which is great and they often destroy their people along the way and i'm not cool with that like I'm, I'm not down with that part how do you how do you see that fitting into the the five things a, com a company needs um that's a great question i thought about it from that angle before i would say certain people so if we go back to the value thing right yeah. the progress people want to make um so i look at my own business through that and i think about what is the value what is the progress people want to make and so most of the folks i'm working with it's about trying to unlock product-led growth. It's about trying to unlock healthy growth, healthy traction, you know, different, there's different language for it. Right. But typically the people I resonate really well with are leaders who care equally about building a great product and a great workplace, which the, the real honest truth. And from my perspective is that a lot of them don't, a lot of leaders just want to build a great business and, and in their heart of hearts, that is actually what it is. And I'm, I don't think that's most people, but there's enough out there that that is a definable segment of who I'm not working with. Like I don't work with people who are growth at all costs. Yeah. That's like people ask me like, well, so who don't you work with? Like that's who I don't work with. If somebody's like, screw the people, I'd suggest growth at all costs and I have to make my numbers and that's it. We're not a fit. That's awesome. You know, it reminds me of a, a post I just saw on LinkedIn today. Um, it was just, it was talking about the value and the cost of not promoting within and kind of the mm. idea of like, Hey, if someone, you got some, you know, 
mid-level person who's on the front line asking for 10k more a year and and the manager's like ah i don't know let's see how you do in six months Mm -hmm. and that person ends up leaving the cost is also like okay well then you have to go probably hire a recruiter and there's money on that you Mm -hmm. have to try to spend time you're losing the the value of that person who is in that position from you know three to six months and then you're likely going to have to pay more for the new person who comes on who knows less about the product the person just left so mm-hmm. um this idea of maybe maybe it partially falls into the finance button uh, finance segment of the five segments of a company that you know the culture and maybe there's a lens to really speak through that, you know, when you're looking at a company, you're looking to create here, these five things that you need and you're thinking of finance, it's not just paying the bills. It's not just, you know, um, what are all the subscriptions we need to have? What are all the SaaS products we need to, to upgrade or, or go and find? But the, the, the human capital through culture and how the savings can be made and the the advances in the value you provide to your customers eventually by having good people who are excited to be there. Totally. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, I think at this point it's a trope, you know, you hear people say like, Oh, our, 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 you know, our number one asset is our people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're like, okay, sure. For whom is that not true? Right. <laughs> like that's true for the vast majority of companies out there. So we haven't really said anything by making that statement, right? If it's true for everybody, then it doesn't, it adds no new information. Um, and so when I think about it that way, like, yeah, there's massive value to culture, right? Not just in your people retention, but like you were pointing out about the, the, the cost of hiring. Right. And, and also the, like the success rate of hiring. Yeah. I think, I think the average benchmark for manager success in hiring is like 50% of hires work out <laughs> and the cost of a quote unquote failed hire is, I forget what it is, but it's some, you know, significant multiple of that person's salary. Yeah. And that's just counting them. And, you know, think about the lost time and the, the whole thing, not to mention the loss of institutional knowledge. Anyways, point is, yeah, culture feels fuzzy and squishy. And my my personal stance is that it's also a real uh, force multiplier and a competitive advantage. Yeah, and a requirement. Yeah, and yeah, and in addition to that, <laughs> but it's like an amazing culture. Like what you know, if you think about um, one of everybody's one of the best known books in our our space, Marty Kagan's Empowered. Right. Subtitle of that book: Ordinary People, Extraordinary Products. Mm. And what he's speaking to. And I've I've I've, had, I've heard, talked to him about this before. Is is that um, it's you don't need superhumans, you need super teams um, in product, right? Like people, I, I was working with a company a week ago, and one of the one of the concerns that was raised by one of the execs was like, well, hey, if we had, you know, if we had the 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 team from Apple or Tesla or whatever, like maybe I'd feel differently. And what that guy didn't realize was that those, those companies, sure. There's some absolutely extraordinary, like super freaks in, in the big tech companies. And there's also a lot of just good people who are just like you and me. Yeah. And they are good people working in an extraordinary environment and that environment, which is another word for culture and leadership and all these sort of quote unquote squishy things. It's that environment and that context that is the force multiplier that pulls things out of them and pushes them to create things that they never would in a different context. That's awesome. So that's a really long-winded way of saying the context is decisive and it matters. And did you casually drop that? Like, hey, I was talking to Marty Kagan about this. Yeah, I've had him on the podcast. So, oh, great. <laughs> that's what I, that's that's more of what I was referring to. Oh yeah, okay. I yeah, know he's he's a he's like a really nice person. I don't know him too well personally, but I do know he 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 responds 
He's like one of those folks who you send an email and he'll respond within 15 minutes. He's like, he is insanely responsive. Yeah. Especially considering how, like how many people must be contacting him. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. It is, yeah. I'm always impressed by those leaders who like you send them an email and oftentimes it's, it's not like the most lengthy email they send. It's usually just kind of one line or two, but at that level, if you can even send back like a, a one line response, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, sometimes I, within like 15 minutes, it's, it's, it's impressive. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very impressive. That's awesome. That, that guy is incredibly generous with his time and knowledge. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. He really is. Marty Kagan, amazing guy. Um, so bringing it back to LA, even though he's come to LA a couple of times, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that we'd like to ground on this podcast is, uh, you know, what is the most LA thing that's happened to you? It can be, it could be tech related or not. Oh man. I've lived in LA such a long time. I, I think I've lost my ability to tell what's like an LA thing versus not. It's <laughs> fair. Uh, so I, I'm not sure I have a, a very um, good answer to this question. You know, I could I could make some joke about like, you know, driving here this morning, I got from, you know, went from the 101 to the 405 to the 10 and was talking to my meditation teacher on the way while drinking a kombucha that I got at Erewhon and blah, blah, blah. Um, Saturday Night Live, the Californians actually nailed it pretty well. Yeah, it's for, true. For, <laughs> you were a sketch comedy show out of New York. They, they really, they really did. They really did. The um, yeah, there's just there's so many like unique things about LA. I mean, I could we can go with the, uh, you know, the um, seeing a celebrity somewhere. Like, you know, I remember being in in some restaurant in Brentwood and like looking over and there's like Tobey Maguire at the table. Oh, the table next awesome. I'm like, holy crap, it's Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, I'll have what he's having. <laughs> uh you know stuff like that oh yeah i mean that's, that's i am still kind of star truck star struck by those things it is fun i don't, I don't think just anything's happened recently I feel like post covid it really hasn't i haven't really had too many run-ins i don't know if it's them or me uh hard to say i also have kids so yeah that's that, i'm not i'm less out so i'm, yeah, I'm, fair I'm, I'm up in that area less, you'll, you'll probably but, have that uh, thing where you're at like a soccer game or something and then you know one of the other parents is at some point is like one of these celebrities that'll probably happen to you uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I know that, uh, Nomar Garcia Pera and Mia Hamm have a kid who's like in the, the local sports, sports, uh, districts around here. And so okay. their kid, I have no parents who have kids who are like, you know, four-year-old kids who are up against Nomar and Mia's kid in soccer. And like, yeah, they're scoring like 12 goals and we score zero <laughs> goals on them. You're like, uh, it's just well, not fair. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Look at their DNA. Yeah. Like not just that, but like that kid's probably running drills at home since they were two. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get your, you don't get your Cheetos until you do your drills. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully kids aren't, people aren't giving their two-year-olds Cheetos. That'd be bad. <laughs> I uh, know they're probably getting a growth hormone or so. Yeah, they're probably getting something super nutritious, they're making athletes over there. Um, Fair enough. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of fun chatting with you, Andrew. Uh, our guest is Andrew Scottsko. Um, you can find him at Make Things That Matter, it's, uh, the podcast, as well as um, the coaching firm. Um, he knows his stuff, so worth a look. Um, also, love to thank our sponsors, PMALA at PMA.LA as well as you rue it at uruit.com. I'd like to thank you all for listening to us and uh, we'll catch you next time on Product in LA.